Before we get on to the main part of today's podcast, I just wanted to remind you to book your tickets for Make It British Live. Go to makeitbritishlive.com forward slash register. I'll see you at the show. You're listening to the Make It British podcast. I'm Kate Hills and I'm on a one woman mission to save UK manufacturing. I invite you to join me each week when I'll be sharing the stories behind some of the best British made brands and UK manufacturers and offering you advice and tips for making in the UK. So let's crack on with the show. Hello and welcome to episode 109 of the Make It British podcast. On today's episode, I'm covering a topic which I know bothers a lot of you, and that is how to protect your designs, particularly from big companies that copy what you are doing if you are a small business. Because let's face it, we've all seen a lot of very famous cases in the press of small design businesses that have then seen their ideas turning up in big retail stores. The lady I'm interviewing today has actually dedicated the last 20 or so years of her career to helping businesses like yours protect their ideas. Her name is Diz McDonald and she is the CEO of an organisation called ACID, which stands for Anti-Copying in Design. Now, Dids was originally a designer herself back in the 80s. And when she found that lots of companies were copying her ideas and she was powerless to do anything against it, she set up ACID along with an IP lawyer. And her organisation has successfully won battles for thousands of its members against big companies that are copying their designs. If you're interested in finding out more about how ACID can help your business and protect your designs, They will be running a drop-in clinic at Make It British Live on the 17th and 18th of March. And you'll be able to pop along, meet one of the ACID team and find out what they can do to help protect your work and your intellectual property. So I hope you find this interview with Dids McDonald of ACID useful. As always, I'd love to hear your feedback and please leave me a review on iTunes if you have just a moment It really does make a difference in how many people can actually hear and benefit from the information that we're sharing on this podcast. Over to the interview with Dids. Hello, Dids. Thank you very much for coming on the Make It British podcast today. Pleasure. Lovely to be here with Make It British. Um, We recommend your organisation, ACID, to a lot of people who are looking to have their to help protect their designs. Can you first tell me what is your role within the organisation and also what does ACID stand for? Well, um, my role is as CEO and co-founder. Originally, I was a designer and every time we brought out new products, they were copied. Um, so I got very angry about just over 20 years ago and decided to take on the copyists. And I guess from then, uh, now we've become the main UK organisation for design and IP, both from a membership um, point of view of helping designers protect their intellectual property, but also as a campaigning group. Tell me more about how the campaigning part works. Um, Well, we campaign uh, to government, uh, to the Intellectual Property Office, to try and achieve design law reform. And... 
I think our most notable achievement was uh, the introduction of the Intellectual Property Act, which means that the intentional infringement of a registered design is a crime. However, uh, we need more help, and this is a very good opportunity to get the message out, to ensure that unregistered design also has criminal provisions. That's not to put everybody in prison that copies, but really to provide the deterrent necessary for lone, small and micro businesses um, who face copying on a massive scale. Mm. Yeah, so there's this myth amongst a lot of people that you only need to change three things on a product, isn't there? Is that the case? And it is a myth. Um, we've got a, a thing called the most commonly uh, asked wrong, wrong assumptions about um, design law. It doesn't matter how many changes you make, whether you make one small change or many small changes or a percentage of changes. That's a complete and utter myth. It's whether you make sufficient uh, to create a different overall impression on the informed user. And that's the, if you like, the legal term. Um, but anybody who thinks that if they can change a design by a small amount and they've got a new design is, is uh, you know, that's incorrect. Mm. And they face an awful lot of legal challenge if that's um, what they think. So what's a new designer to do if they have come up with a new idea, which they think is very unique? I mean, what from, from when they start developing the product with the factory, how should how should they should they be protecting the designs right from the start when they first go and meet that factory? Yes, um, I mean the best advice I can give is all the way from the seed of an idea to marketplace. You need to be have a proactive IP strategy, mm -hmm. and that doesn't require lawyers uh, as such. It's about knowing that you've created something that attracts rights. Um, knowing what those rights are, if it's 3D, it's usually design right, and if it's 2D, it's usually you know copyright. Um, signing and dating all the uh, different stages of your work, if you're having the prototypes made and manufactured for you to ensure you've got the right sort of agreements in place. And automatically you create unregistered design right if you create something that has never been done before and it has distinctive character. Um, so in order to create an unregistered design right, you need to have evidence um, of that creation. And what we've got at ACID is an IP data bank that holds literally, I think it holds about 300,000 copies of people's designs. And that's a free benefit of membership. So it means that at various key stages, you can send us the design, you get a, um, a certificate, a numbered certificate, which can't be tampered. So you can actually show the progression of your design. This is a very important thing to do uh, if you are unlucky enough to be copied because it can show the, if you like, the incremental stages of how you got from that seed of an idea all the way to marketplace. The other um, thing that you could do is register your designs. And again, thanks to our campaigning, uh, the intellectual property office have uh, reduced their prices, which means it's quite cost effective. It's still uh, reasonably uh, expensive, but nevertheless, it means that you've got a, a piece of paper, a numbered certificate, which actually says you own that design. And so long as you renew it every five years, it lasts for 25 years. So the okay. most important thing is to be thinking about 
protection, thinking about communicating uh, that you, uh, the intellectual property you create is a value, it's an, a valuable asset to you as a creative uh, person or, or company, um, all the way through the your marketing material, your website, um, any communications that you send to other people. It's actually shouting quite loudly about the IP that you create. Mm. So you say it's worth registering some designs and it's quite expensive, not as expensive as it used to be. So how would someone decide whether that was worth paying? I mean, what sort of fee are we talking about? And you say it's it's not not so expensive. expensive. It's about £60 for one design and then it goes down incrementally. But as we all know, design is designed prolifically and it can become Mm. expensive if budgets are fairly tight. Um, Also, uh, unfortunately, it is fairly costly and... um, time-consuming to take legal action if you're unlucky enough to be copying. So our focus is very much on education and awareness. What rights do you have? What you can do to protect them? It's about prevention, deterrence, and the preventative part is actually communicating that you have a strong IP policy and that you will take action. One of the alternatives to taking legal action is to obviously resort to social media, as many people do. But Mm. we add a very, very strong caveat to that, that uh, number one, you need to be very careful about accusing other people of copying because you can be liable um, for you know, making a, a groundless threat. Oh, can you? Okay. And I mean, you can be liable for defamation. So it's always best to come. We, we do it the whole time, but it's best to come to us for the correct wording. On the topic of um, going to social media, I remember a very famous case with Tatty Divine and Claire's yeah. accessories were the very distinctive dragon or dinosaur necklace. It was, what, six, seven years ago. I remember it. Yeah. So they, they, I think they won that case, didn't they, by going to yeah. social media. So you wouldn't advise that brands did that? I, I do advise that brands do it because it's a fast track to mm. take what I would advise is to do uh, advise us to do it with caution. Um, we've got a lot of experience with, with that. We did that. We've, we've done that with several of our members um, against high street retailers who uh, don't necessarily um, apply the ethics that they should to mm. respect. Um, and of course, no brand wants to see their um, you know them up against a. Uh, you know, an innovator. So I guess that the, the positive thing about social media is. Is actually being able to put it out there as we we always we've got something called spot the difference on our website. Oh, so, have you? That sounds interesting. So, in other words, what 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 originators can do is to send us their orig- original products, obviously with the evidence that they've designed them, and that but usually if it's an acid member, we've got that evidence, mm. and the evidence of the alleged copy, and it's putting it out into uh, if you like social media to say, well, what's your opinion? We never. Um, a alleged that it's a copy. It's just putting it out there with the right wording um, that can say, uh, you know, what do you think? Okay, so someone could come to you if they have been copies. So there's two ways that they can use your services. And the first thing is to register with you in the first place as a member. Yeah. And secondly, if they already have been copied, they can still access your services and join at that point, can they, and use your advice? If... Unfortunately, if, if people are copied, then then we, we can't sort of, uh, if you like, um, because we don't have that evidence, we can't sort of back um, mm. 
retrace the steps. It's really about having a proactive um, strategy and being a member is being part of the community that buys into all the aspects of uh, benefits, which is, you know, be able to use the IP data bank, um, being able to use the services we offer, um, six or seven of our associate lawyers offer initial free advice, um, reduced um, legal fees if, you, if it's necessary to take action. So there's lots of things that one can do, but the most important thing is deterrence and prevention because nobody wants to have to take legal action um, against no. this. No, exactly. And do you find, I mean, how does this differ whether you're being copied by someone in the UK, so you developed a product in the UK and you're copied by a UK company, how much more complicated does it get if the person that has copied you is based overseas? Well, sadly, it's very complicated because mm. in law is very complicated. It's complicated in the UK and there are different different jurisdictions have different types of design protection. For example, in the United States, you'll have a design patent. In China, you have design patents. Uh, the expense happens because you have to employ a UK lawyer and then a, a, a national uh, lawyer. So, if you look at the um, if you look at the the makeup of British design, it's made up of about one and a half million people. The majority of them are lone micro and SME. So, most people will not have the the finance, uh, the funding to be able to take legal action overseas. It's just very complicated. So again, mm. it's trying to be proactive, having the right relationships, knowing what you can and can't do to protect your designs. One of the things until uh, we leave the European Union um, during the transitional period, you can uh, re still rely on European community right, design rights, which um, cover 27 member states and last for 25 years. Um, but one of the things that we're campaigning on uh, at the moment is that when we do leave Bre uh, the European Union, British designers will automatically lose their automatic protection in EU 27. So again, this is a bit of a call to action to everybody, yeah. designers out there saying, please support us in our talks with government, which in fact, I've just come this morning from a talk talks um, two key stakeholders. And yesterday we were in free trade uh, agreement talks with, um, you know, for when they're uh, created with Canada, United States, Japan, Australia, and New Zealand, is to try and put in those safeguards so that British designers who are, I mean, we are an international calling card, that we get the right sort of deals and the right sort of uh, enforcement, the right sort of uh, level playing field. So it's about, about us all shouting very loudly if we, mm. we can. Have you? What should people do to be able to support that? How can they support you in doing that, especially if they're a designer and they are selling well, a lot on to Twitter, you? Where, where we, we acid underscore tweets or my own uh, tweet, which is at Dids McDonald. Um, I, I do it on a daily basis. I'm doing call to actions all over the place. Um, Unfortunately, Kate, like other industry sectors, like, say, the music sector, film, publishing, they have international lobbying and campaigning groups behind them. At the moment, uh, one of the few uh, design and IP campaigning groups is ACID. So we're a, a small organization when you look at the global organization. So it's about joining the community and saying, well, actually, 
British design is the best. We want to do everything we can to protect it. So we need voices to to join us in the campaign. So it's just simply following us on Instagram, um, Twitter, Facebook, and saying, yes, we agree with you, we'll support you, and spread it, spreading it, the word within all the people who um, are proud uh, to be associated with you, which is making it, make, make it British, and shouting for British design. Mm. Nobody else will. So is it all sorts of design products that you would cover with that? So we're not just talking um, sort of fashion and textiles. No, I mean, lighting, furniture, ceramic, uh, the whole, uh, you know, all the industry sectors that are involved with involved with uh, design and and design that can be either um, have unregistered design rights or registered design rights and indeed copyright. Hmm. Brilliant. So um, going back a step to the original um, development of the product, and you say it's good for people to protect their designs right up front with you at ACID. Yeah. Should they? Uh, I hear a lot said about an NDA or a non-disclosure agreement. Is that something you would advise? Yes. I mean, uh, basic agreements are really what you agree between A and B. Um, right. Our whole objective is to make make them as simple as possible, so that if things go wrong, you can rely on the small print. I always say, not reading small print makes lawyers rich. Um, <laughs> I think it's about having belt and braces, and we have generic agreements that can be made bespoke and part of. Um, designers' terms and conditions of business. And it's something that you can reuse for different circumstances. So, yes, uh, we always recommend that. It's about keeping keeping your IP safe, keeping uh, whatever you agree with, uh, you know, if it's a license agreement, making sure you've got the right terms in that agreement. Um, we've spent a long time getting a, a, an industry standard together that protects both the designer and the manufacturer. Okay, that's great. So that means if someone joins ACID, they have access to those documents as a yes, template I mean, that they can use. It's a small cost, but it's it's not uh, prohibitive um, at all. And then you can use it. Um, obviously, you have to put in your own details. It's always good to get a, an IP lawyer to check it out. Um but it's actually you doing quite a lot of the work and then getting a lawyer to check it out. So it's going to be belt and braces around. After all, you know, designers spend, spend an awful long time becoming designers. Then to actually bring a product to market requires a lot of uh, what I call it sweat equity um, yeah. before you get a return on investment. So that's all the intellectual capital of, of, of a company, a group of designers uh, or whatever. So it's really worth protecting. Um, if you don't do it, then you've got nothing to rely on if things go wrong. So mm. I'm a firm advocate of that. And yeah. it can be complicated. Uh, it, have you noticed since there's much more social media these days, especially things like Instagram, which is lots of photographs of people's products, people are often putting photographs of products that they're developing on there before they've even got them out to the customer. Mm. Have you noticed an increase in people being copied? Well, sadly, yes. I mean, the, the, if you if you're putting uh, images out on the, on the internet, you're obviously vulnerable to the people who are going to use use it well, and the people who are not. 
And of course, social media in itself uh, means that, uh, you know, exposure is much greater. Mm. Mm. So I think it's, again, it's about us all shouting a little bit more loudly about um, the value uh, that a designer brings to a product um, in the first place in creating it. Mm. Uh, You know, I think we're always a bit understated about our design credentials, and I don't think we should be. I think it's also uh, very wise to have this sort of copyright design right notices on um, you know images. We, we have a very simple statement which says all intellectual property rights belong to, and then you just uh, put in your name, any infringements will be pursued. It's a warning shot. Um, it's, it's just really sort of trying to put a value in that IP because after all, when it's gone, it's gone. And um, you know, that, that means that a designer can't, you know, recoup the rewards for their investment in something mm. to market. And it's also a clear message to those, you know, we have had a lot of cases with uh, major high street retailers who have disregarded the value of originators. And um, that really is, you know, about trying to put um, intellectual property respect at the top table. And we have to do that as designers. We have to tell, um, you know, explain to people that you can't just, steal uh intellectual property it's the yeah, same exactly if i went into a shop and stole, you know 10 rings um i would have a criminal record i would probably have to if i would continue to do it i would have to go to prison um intellectual property is is the same because it's actually stealing designers livelihoods yeah so have you got any good examples of designers that you've worked with who have won a case against a big retailer or a much bigger company that has copied them? Well, we've got, to be quite honest, Kate, we've got thousands of them, uh, thousands of successful settlements on behalf of our ACID members. My own company, uh, it was a company called Holbein. I took action against a major high street retailer. I won't mention the names because I don't believe that. You of know, course. Hunt. I think it's about... Um, what we tend to do with successful settlements is to publicize them. And by publicizing them, then we name and shame. Um, and so it is part part of our naming and shaming is also to name and shame in trade press as well. And that's really taking uh, you know people to account, um, major retailers to account and manufacturers to account um, if they, you know, if there, if there has been a settlement, and again, we've got wording to do that. Most high street retailers will settle um, before it actually goes to court. So that that's often quite difficult to name and shame, but we have a, a means of getting around that to say that there has been a settlement. And then, then that is left to the the reader to, to work out why um, somebody has settled. Yeah. And I also think, having come from a buying background with a retailer, that it's about educating the retailers as well and those buyers at the retailers who naively think this change three things rule. Yeah. Because, um, you know, so many times I used to hear it when I worked for company, big companies like that. It's, oh, you just need to change three things. And it's like, you don't. And that's someone's original design work. You can't you can't do that to them. How do you, how do you get that message across to the buyers? Well, I think if you think of the USP for um, high street retailers, it's about... Um, you know, differentiation, it's about innovation. 
So if retail is going to use small designers who are the innovators, a lot of them are the innovators, to give them the competitive edge, then taking those designs, changing a few things, sending them out to China, bringing them back in is actually counterproductive. Yeah. Um, at the at the end of the day, one is destroying British design and one's not supporting British design. And a lot of successful retailers have built their reputations on good British design. Um, if it's copied, it just um, undermines that basic, um, if you like, national characteristic that we're very, very good at. Mm. Um, you know, I, I've had um, run-ins with, with many high street retailers. <laughs> As good you for you. Good for you. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, I think I'm called by one uh, high street retail- retailer that troublesome woman. Well, I don't care about <laughs> troublesome because, you know, I believe in original design and having been there myself when major high street retailers have copied our products, I got very, very angry. All I wanted them to do was to say, look, dudes, we love your products. Um, can we work on some sort of license royalty agree- uh, agreement? Can we pay you a royalty fee, um, how can we work with you positively um, so that we can get these designs out there, not sending them out to wherever to get them copied, reproduced and bringing them back into the country. It's just not, it's, um, it's not playing fair. And I think that now with retail struggling so much, um, they need to be looking at even more supporting British design, even more, um, you know, really uh, promoting what we do best. It's mm. up calling card but you know when I work for a big well-known retailer I won't name them but I was in the handbag department and one of our bags which was was our own original design I was with the designer when she sat and drew it when we were in a factory in Turkey and it got copied by another retailer and it was a blatant copy that had changed nothing about it apart from the color it was a very distinctive design and of course the the big retailer I was working for had a huge legal department and they sent a letter to this other retailer saying, we believe that you've copied our design. And they removed the bags from sale. And then all they did was put out the same style again a few weeks later, slightly smaller and a different colour. And we then took that back to the legal department who said, well, I think we're they're just going to do it again and they're just going to do something else that's going to be kind of similar now because they're now saying it's out there in the public domain and a lot of other companies are also copying it. So it's not just the retail, you know, the retailers also copying retailers, which is crazy. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, and, you know, I think, I don't know if that was, you know, before the sort of advent of social media, but... It was, yeah, it was about 15 years ago. I mean, I I would be just putting that straight out out there in the ether and asking Mm. the design community what they think. Mm. They, their, their, their view, the other company that copied, was that, oh, it's now become a trend, that particular style, because so many people are doing it, therefore you can't now claim it's original because it's now a general trend. Um, well, that's not entirely true because there's something called commonplace. And if you've originally, if you've got the evidence to show that you came up, you, you had the design, and if it's even stronger if you have a registered design, then the fact that so many people are copying it doesn't give it legitimacy mm. that it is, uh, you know, a trend. Having a trend is not a legal argument. Yeah, exactly. But I suppose with now as well, with catwalk shows happening on social media and a lot of businesses are just 
broadcasting their catwalk shows straight away. So it's before those designers designs have even hit the stores, all of those retailers are already they're all sitting there watching those videos and doing a version of. I mean, we saw it recently on a program on the telly about um, a big online retailer who was just finding a bikini that a Kardashian was wearing and asking a manufacturer to copy it. And he was shown doing this on the telly. I mean, I mean, that's just, you know, a fact of life. Um, it, you know, it goes with the conversations. Do you want something that's original or do you want something that's a copy? Mm. Um, even in fact, in China, there's a growing trend. Um, you know, China is the biggest copyist that we know. Mm. Um, uh, even now, there's a, a trend in China that that aspiring Chinese want the original. So I think it's about, especially when under the brand "Make It British," make it British, make it original. Mm, exactly. I do think there will be a backlash as well to all of this copying all the time. Um, because it seems to have got quite extreme now, especially with the influencers, as they're called, and people wanting to wear what the influencers are wearing. The bottom line is it's stealing. Mm. So it's all very well to say, you know, you take uh, inspiration and influence. And of course we do, because otherwise design wouldn't, um, you know, it wouldn't develop, that we wouldn't uh, have those you know, standing on shoulders stuff. But, um, you know, I've always believed that if you've put the sweat equity into creating something that has a, that attracts a right and it is original and distinctive, um, then you have the right to be able to um, see that through to market without risk of being copied. The, the thing is with copyists that they don't put in the R&D, they don't put in the investment they scoop it up after you know somebody else has done all that hard work, and that isn't right. It's it's basically wrong. Exactly. So uh, you've spent yeah. you your whole you know career really with acid has been dedicated to putting this right wrong, hasn't it? Which is brilliant. Well, I really I, admire that. We're a nation that actually doesn't like people to take to to. Um, I mean, I call it misbehave. That's a very mild word. <laughs> Actually, you know, we're, we're, we're a nation that actually believes in rights. And we're also a campaigning nation. I mean, you name anything that has happened because people feel strongly about it. And it's, you know, I think basically the majority of us are, fair, are reasonably good. I hope we are. Um, I, I do I put that in myself in that category, but I'm sure. <laughs> but I think, you know, if you think about it, Kate, there are one and a half million people involved in design and design skills. So out of a 67 million population, we must all know a designer or all have someone oh, yeah. in our families who's a designer and they make their living from it. I mean, they, you know, if you make your living from it and you lose your living because you, um, you know, your whole livelihood is taken away, that's serious. But it's not just, I mean, there's a, a a fabulous company that who's a member of Acid, they do these wonderful Wellington boots uh, that they've made a whole story about. They own the original artwork. Um, they're copied, uh, unfortunately, uh, relentlessly. And it's meant that they've had to lay people off. Well, of a company that grew from nothing to 35 employees, it's not just 35 employees, it's their wives or husbands, their children, their mm. homes, their pets and everything that, that rely on this, they're continuing their business, you know, for which they've invested in. 
you know, the marketing, the, the uh, you know, the designs, the selling, the going to exhibitions, it all costs money to promote that. And that's something that has a, you know, this value that I, I, I keep concentrating on. And um, so the, the knock-on effects of stealing are just, you know, not right. Exactly. Um, I just want to ask you to explain a couple of things. With uh, you see sometimes TM, so trademark, and yeah. the the R for registered. Yeah. Can you explain what the difference is to those, and when you might trademark something over registering it, or would you do both? Sure. Well, like design rights, you have unregistered and registered trademarks. So, take my name, Dids McDonald. If I wanted to put TM beside it, that's my name, and I could do that if I was trading under it. Um, so that's an unregistered trademark. Uh, that means I haven't gone to an official body to register Dids McDonald as a trademark. And okay. I'm using this example because it's distinctive. So, so, so say, for example, you, you decide you couldn't actually put it under yours because it's descriptive of make it British. Um, but if I was, say, called, um, I don't I'm just trying to think of a generic uh, name. If I was called um, Wingback Designs, for example. Yeah. And I wanted to, and I'd been trading under that name, I could put TM, so long as there wasn't another Wingback Designs. If okay. Register your designs, then you put an R in a circle and you can register them either in the United King, Kingdom or nationally. Um, there is a bit of an anomaly here because in the United States, if you put TM, it's a registered trademark. But it's quite in order in the UK to put trademark if you have got a, if you are trading under a name um, that you've established a rep reputation. So and you okay. So you said I couldn't trademark make it British because make it British because it's descriptive. Really, so I would never be able to trademark make it British. I don't think so. I mean, I'm not a lawyer, so I can't I can't give you advice, but I can take advice on it for you. But I very right. much doubt it. So even though I've been trading under it for the last ten years, I couldn't trademark it. Someone because else could put uh, make descriptive. It. Uh, make it British is descriptive. Ah, okay. So, for example, anti-copying in design, um, uh, there are certain rules about using the word Britain and British. Yes, I know that. Remember that from when I registered my company. Right. Well, anti-copying in design, for example, is a registered tra community trademark, which means that we've registered anti-copying in design uh, for the, the various services that we, we give. And that means we've got protection as a community trademark in 28 different countries. So the best thing with with uh, with registering a trademark, it's a very valuable IP right. And as you know, IP rights are copyright, design right, trademarks, and patents. Hmm. So if you are, if anybody is. Um, building a reputation under their name the best thing is to get advice we can give advice our lawyers can give advice on that trademark law is quite a strong law and there are various different protective elements that, that apply to trademark law and so it's really um you know if you've spent many years building up that reputation then if somebody decides your name for example some people have uh, some chinese companies have used anti-copying in design 
Have they? They've so they've used that. They've used your anti-copying and design name, have they? Yeah, to give to give legitimacy to designs. Um, so we've had to take action against that. Gosh, they're even copy. I can't believe the Chinese will actually copy the the brand that is anti-copying. Well, I mean, that's just, just, just shows that, you know, it all, doesn't it? If you think it? of brand reputation, um, if you think of the very, very well-known brands um, in, in well, globally, mm. um, heavy focus on protecting the credentials under their brands. And a lot of the much larger companies will use trademark law to protect them against counterfeiting. Right, so the Coca-Colas and Nikes of this world. Correct, yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, Dids, it's been really wonderful talking to you. I am sure lots of people listening to this are going to want to find out more about ACID. Can you? T- how do they become a member? Well, um, it's very easy. Go onto our website, which is acid.uk.com. And uh, there's all the joining information there. It's a click of a button. And... Um, there's a myriad of benefits which are all uh, listed there. Also, you become part of our asset community, which is really um, about education, awareness, deterrence, prevention, support, and also campaigning. Brilliant. Fantastic. Thank you very much for joining me today. And um, keep up the great works. Fantastic. Thank you, Thank you Kate. <laughs> very much for the opportunity. Cheers, dudes. for listening to this episode of the make it british podcast if you're interested in finding uk fashion textile and homeware manufacturers then you should definitely come to our trade show make it british live on the 17th and 18th of march 2020 there'll be some of the best uk factories there for you to meet as well as a series of inspiring talks just like the ones that you listen to on this podcast It's the perfect place to network with others that want to see UK manufacturing thrive. To register to attend, just go to makeitbritishlive.com forward slash register. Or if you want to find out about exhibiting at the show, visit makeitbritishlive.com forward slash exhibit or drop me an email to kate at makeitbritish.co.uk. I'd love to hear from you. I hope to see you there. Bye bye.